You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is a little bit of a mix-up uh, from some of the episodes I've been doing recently. It's kind of a, an inclusive. Every once in a while, I like to throw an episode in that is like um, like a catch-up or a you know just an overview. So this one is entitled Waypoint uh, from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. A waypoint is an intermediate point on a route or line of travel. And that's kind of what we've been doing. We've kind of been traveling down this road of self-awareness, mental health, spirituality, all of these different things. I've covered topics from, you know, what the body, mind, and spirit are, how the connections of those two things or those three things go into a conjunction. Um, in the very early stages of the podcast, we were talking about how your outside influences, the world you live in, you know, the influences of the language you use and the relationships, how that affects our emotions and the reality that we build. What depression is, how I classify that, um, death, life, you know, we, we, we've covered quite a bit of topics. So I thought now would be a good time. And specifically recently with, you know, ever since I did the last recap episode back on episode 42, I've covered a lot of big topics, you know, love and faith, purpose, reincarnation, tranquility, listening, passion, ego, magic, uh, talking about why questions. And then in the last three episodes, I talked about um, energy, discourse, and fear. And before that, I talked about Tao and how mastery works. And so we've 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 covered a lot, right? And we keep I keep trying to cover as much as I can. So I thought now would be a good time to put in a waypoint, just like you know, a nice little a respite, if you will, a uh, nice little stop along the road. You know, we'll we'll uh, we'll pull over, or we'll stop at a, a nice little um, maybe like a B and B or. Nice little little village town, a nice little scenic view, if you will. And I'm just going to go over everything I've been talking about, uh, maybe a couple new things that I've been also putting together. It's just a, a little bit of a ramble escapade of what's been going on with the podcast and the things that um, are prudent at this point to kind of put together. So let's start it off with um, first, for those who might be new to the podcast or those who haven't. Uh, heard an episode where I go over this. Let's talk about depression first, right? So I've been talking about mental health and um, self-awareness. That, that's where I started. So mental health and self-awareness, as far as I'm concerned, has a couple different pieces. And one of the big pieces that I define over what the clinical side of things are is what depression is. And now remember, I talk about these things regarding how I see them, the way I deal with them, not from a professional setting. I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. I'm not a psychologist. So there is specifically the clinical side, which is psychology, psychiatry, doctors, you know, using medications and, and counseling and those types of things. That's one side of the equation, right? And if those things work for you, awesome. I'm all, I'm all for all that. You know, as much as I bash the Western medicine system on this podcast quite often, and even, you know, sometimes in my own practice as a body worker, uh, it's really good at a couple things. It's really good at saving your life. If you're having a heart attack, go to the hospital, but it's also really good at doing diagnostics and trying to figure out what's occurring 
in the moment. It's not great at always figuring out where those occurrences came from or, or what the root cause of something is, something like traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. They're a little bit better at that. But on the psychiatry, psychology, counseling, clinical depression, those things, they're good at diagnosing. They figure out like, oh yes, this is child-based trauma. You know, this is abuse trauma. This is clinical diagnosed depression. You know, we can try to use medication to correct that. Maybe it is a, a some sort of beta blocker that's necessary because there is some sort of chemical imbalance. They're really good at figuring out if it's actual chemical imbalance or if it's traumatic response. Um, so those things, yeah, there's absolutely a clinical side. And if you want to seek medical help, absolutely go for it. You know, last episode when I was talking about fear, fear response is good. It's good to be anxious about going and talking to a psychologist and a counselor. But that's because it's it's a lot to deal with. So, yes, the fear response is a good thing. Don't let the fear response control the actual action, though. Have a little startled response of like, uh, do I really want to do this? Do I, you know, do I, are they going to be able to, yeah, that's all good. That means you are actually prepared to have a therapeutic response to do what I do, which is, you know, body work, um, which is on the realm of therapeutic massage techniques and those types of things. Body work encompasses a lot more than that, but some people uh, need that reference to understand it a little bit more. The first step is for someone to decide to come in and see me. That's the first step. The first step to any of this stuff is to decide, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to become self-aware. I'm going to have better mental health. I'm going to seek out professional opinions, advice or or help. I'm going to be okay with trying out a you know, some sort of medically prescribed something. That's the clinical side of it. I don't necessarily get into the clinical side of it. If you want more of the clinical side and how uh, those things work, I highly recommend going out and checking um, Dr. Rimka, R-I-M-K-A. There's a link on tamingintrusts.com slash archive. Uh, I have a link to Dr. Rimka's website and her background and information. She is probably, I'm going to say, one of the best I've ever seen as far as her approach. And she also has all the credentials to back it up. I could never claim to be anywhere close to the clinical level of treatment that she can provide as well as diagnostics. She can provide awesome person, awesome methodologies, right? She also gets into some of the things I get into as well. So even better, right? On my side of things, I deal with depression a little bit differently than most. I talk about self-awareness and mental health and the practices we can use to attain those things coming from a background of traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, most all traditional medicines, really. I mean, I've studied alchemy. I've studied the mystery schools. Uh, I've read nearly all of the, um, uh, what's the book I'm thinking of? Uh, the secret of all ages. Um, nearly read all of that book and, and many other books that go on these things. I've read Paracelsus. I've read Iamblichus. I've read, you know, and a lot of people say these things like, oh, I've read this and read that and read that. I've also drawn conclusions and found connecting lines and let go of the crap that you don't need and picked up the stuff that you do need and then found connecting lines between that. I've studied the body for many years. I have about 15 years working with the human body and the human system. That includes my definition of the body system as a whole. So the, the human system, a body, a mind, and a spirit. So I've defined that. Uh, I've also defined some connections between those things that we'll get into a little bit later in this episode. But with that, I also defined, you know, 
how I understood Eastern philosophies compared to Western philosophies, you know, looking at the Tao Te Ching, but also looking at Kant and looking at um, Hobbes and all of these other Western philosophies and how they correspond to the Eastern philosophies, looking at Buddhism and other world religions I've studied quite a bit of. I've just done a lot of self-study in all of these things and been fortunate enough in my life to get face-to-face with people from all different walks of life, all different cultural backgrounds, all different understandings, and absorb as much as I can, and then start to put together my understandings. So that's where I come from, and you know maybe that doesn't necessarily do it justice, but I try to keep that part as quick as I can because... I like to be humble. I don't really like to talk about those things too much. I'm not, I'm not amazing. I don't, I don't feel like I'm amazing. I just have specific skills that maybe others don't have the time to cultivate like I have and am able to put these conclusions together due to my experiences. And I like to share them because ultimately I like to help people where I can. And even farther than that, I think the best way I can define it is I like to be of service to the community. I think everyone should have to be... Everyone should be of service in the community. Maybe it shouldn't be forced because if it's forced, it's not real. But in some way, you should do your best to be of service to the community if you can. If that's just going to work and, you know, doing your job as best you can and just being a functional member of society in that regard, if that's just literally smiling at people on the street because no one else does that, like everyone can do it in their own little way. Some people do it bigger than others. Don't get into the game of, oh, I'm more of a service than you're. No, that's not how this works. I don't play that game. I also don't play the whose life's worst game. That's a stupid game. Don't play it. Everyone loses in that game. So my big things, be of service to the community if possible, um, but want to do that. Uh, and then also another big thing I do is how I define depression. So that's the background. And here's what it got me. I define depression depression as uniquely how you see the world that's it's the culmination of every experience how your body works how your mind works how your spirit works the interplays with those so just how you take in all this information that's your depression Uh, i got that definition based on the old astrological definition of uh, depression which is when a side real body depresses itself below the horizon line. So if you're looking at the horizon line and the sun were to depress itself, we call this a sunset. That's the depression of the sun. What occurs there is the sun leaves our visual cortex acuity. It leaves our sight and we then depress it. So it depresses below the horizon line. And that depression is when it enters our imagination. It enters our mind. We simulate the idea that the sun went away. It will come back. That's maybe where we first started out, you know, ancient us of like, oh, the sun thing went away. Now the sun thing's going to come back later. And then, you know, eventually we built a solar system model and we're like, okay, the sun does this trip thing. And then we thought this, the earth was the center. And then we're like, no, it's the sun is the center. And then we, we, for a while we had this orbit theory of the, you know, things orbiting around the sun. And they were like, no, that's actually not true. We don't just travel around the center line of the sun. That's kind of preposterous because the sun is hurtling through space. So we came up with heliocentric orbits and how if you look at the planets behind the sun, the sun's moving through time and space. And behind it are the planets in a heliocentric orbit. So we kind of actually are spinning behind it, uh, much like um, 
uh, not a yo-yo. What's the one I'm thinking of? A slinky. The, that's a helio. Those are heliocentric circles. Uh, the slinky. That's the circles on a slinky when you pull it apart and they spiral down. That's heliocentric. They all spiral around a, a singular point, which is the sun, but they do it so in a, a spiral pattern behind it. And, you know, so we upgraded that mentality, but that all came from the understanding of depression and to depress something, a side real body, something outside of the planet earth. That's a side real body is entering into our imagination, entering into our mind and, and us simulating what occurs there. So everything around us is part of our depression. The way we see the world, it's the rose colored glasses or the, the di- the dark, um, nightshades we wear. It's, uh, it's, it's all of that. It's the way we hear things. It's the way we taste things, see things. It's all of those things. It, it makes up part of our personality. And with that, I say that depression is one of the most unique things to you. It actually is the, the most unique thing. Everyone's depression is absolutely unique. We really got to get away from saying, oh, I understand. You fucking don't. Um, that's the whole point. It's the depression that makes us unique. And yes, we can have connection and we can have uh, community and we can have similarities and we can draw these things together and be connected, but the depression itself is unique to the individual. So saying you understand, you may understand a piece and that's great. You know, being sympathetic and being empathetic, great. But saying I understand and then dismissing the uniqueness, not, not an okay answer. That doesn't work that way. With all of this uh, is another big part of what I talk about on the podcast and how I look at things is I take the connotation out of things. I don't treat things in the negative, positive light that a lot of people let things fall into. And that's how language works. And that's how social norms get miscued. And that's how people can control the narrative. So I get rid of connotation. One of the ways I get rid of connotation is the next steps. We had depression, right? That's uniquely how you see the world. From there, I added in my understanding of how the universe kind of cycles, how it works in that regard. The first thing is one of the universal laws I found from all of the things I've ever read is that there's this thing known as balance and the universe finds balance no matter what. It's always seeking balance. One of the ways you can think about it that is known as pressure motivation. Pressure motivation is uh, pressure motivation means to find balance. So if you have a high pressure system and a low pressure system, they meet and they balance out the pressure systems and thus we get a weather event. If you're talking about the atmosphere, we get a uh, evening out of liquids, if you wanna talk about it that way. So there's always these things called pressure motivations, pressure balances. With that idea that the universe is always seeking balance is the next part of that, which is it's doing it asymmetrically. Symmetry is not balance. Asymmetry is not balance. Asymmetric symmetry is. So if you find balance, it's, it could be symmetrical, but it's typically found asymmetrical. Uh, one of the analogies I use there is when we're talking about a teeter-totter or if we're talking about a RV, driving an RV, and these ideas of small corrections. If the reaction to the imbalance is a overaction, then there's no balance. It's just another, it's just going to be a reaction to an overaction and it just continues on that way until there's smaller corrections to get it back down to balance. And then on a teeter-totter, the balance of two things could be two people on one side and one person on the other side and they somehow balance each other out. But if you've ever been on a teeter-totter and it's not like perfectly balanced, it's like one side's a little higher, but that's balance. It, it balances itself out as like, 
one's a little higher than the other, that's asymmetrical balance structures. So that's what the universe is doing constantly. It's constantly trying to find asymmetrical balance. And in doing so, we get a lot of different functions and those functions follow a specific cycle. Now, here's where I typically uh, get into some trouble because I usually like to, not only do I bash the Western medical system a lot, although I do say it's great for saving lives, they're amazing at that, they're also massively overworked uh, and don't have the time to not be indoctrinated and not, you know, look at other practices because this is what they know, this is what they taught, and they have too many patients not to do that. So I, I give I give leeway, right? I give balance. There's balance to all these things. I just think we could do better at the educational level and then also at the practice level. And at the personal level, we could take more control of our health and do some things there. But anyway, before I get on too many soapboxes, when we're talking about balance and we're talking about the cycles, one of the other things I'll bash regularly is, you know, talk about bashing the Russian medical system. I also bash... Um, organized religious structures, not religion, not faith, not beliefs, organized religious structures. These are things like the Catholic church as a whole. These are things like the organization of Christianity and it's different participant parts, all who decide, you know, what you're supposed to understand. Uh, this goes for all the Abrahamic religions, really Christianity, Judaism, and um, Islam. It goes for other religions too that are culty or have anytime someone is standing in front of a bunch of people and telling them what they're supposed to believe and their interpretation of something is the only interpretation and should be taken as 100% truth. That's dogma. That's organized religion. And it's not the answer. It's not correct. You need to read these texts yourself. You need to understand these stories yourself. You need to look at the faith of yourself and your belief structure and believe if it's for you or not for you. You shouldn't let someone else control that narrative. You shouldn't let someone else tell you what you're supposed to believe or have to believe, or that this is the absolute truth. And there's no other option that this isn't the absolute truth. That's, that's not correct. If someone has to make that statement, it means they're lying because they know something else exists that could sway your persuasion. And thus they have to tell you not to go seek it out. Right. That's just logic and reason function. So I'm not for organized religion. I'm absolutely for, though, faith and belief. So whatever that looks like for you, awesome. I'm all for it. Pagan, you know, if it's paganism, if it's going back to the root structures of what the pagans believed, if it's, if it's Christianity, if it's Islam, if it's Judaism, if it's Jainism, if it's uh, a spiritual Buddhism such as Hinduism, but in that regard, you would need to be Hindu because Hinduism is the way of the Hindu people. If it is a spiritual Buddhism, like a Shintoism, um, typically only found in Japan, but I, I've, you know, met some other people who are very interested in it. Uh, if it's a agnosticism of some sort, uh, but which also is odd because it defines that there is something more powerful. If it's, any belief or faith structure that deals with your spirituality. I, I think it's intrinsic to humans that there needs to be this thing known as spirituality, that it's part of being humans. We have the body, the mind, and the spirit. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later yet. We're just doing some recap waypoint stuff. We're sitting down and recapping a little bit before we, you know, have a little discussion with RT. So that being said that I'm not for organized religions, I'm absolutely for faith and belief and having spiritual practices, having spiritual nature, the reason I'm not for 
organized religion is part of the next part of what I define as uh, existence in this universe. The universe, while seeking balance, uh, doing it asymmetrically, is following a cycle. And the cycle is what's known as the primordial cycle or, or what has been defined as the primordials. Now, these have all sorts of different names. They've been broken apart into different pieces in some regard, but nearly every understanding in philosophical, religious, or theosophical, well, I should say theosophical instead of religious, any philosophical, theosophical, or scientific methodology of understanding how the universe works uses these four primordials and has given them different names and understandings. In the vernacular I use are chaos, creation, order, and destruction. The big lie of organized religions and um, controlled, dogmatic, faith-based situations such that was preached by uh, most churches as a whole, and I define a church not as a place of worship, but churches are typically organizational places of worship where the pastor, the priest, the person at the, the head figure is the one that controls what you get to hear and what you get to say, again, dogmatic religions, or defines the way in which you must practice your faith or religion. That's known as systematic ideas. And systems only work inside of systems, and systems are designed to replicate themselves over and over again. Thus, they even follow this cycle that I'm about to go over. They say everything starts at creation and that there's this idea, mostly of the Abrahamic religions actually start here and some other religions in the world, some theosophical ideas, some philosophical ideas, all start with this representation that uh, creation came first, that it was the first thing, that there nothing came before it. And that's not true in the primordial sense of things. In the primordial sense of things, chaos would have been what came first. Chaos Again, take connotation out of things. Chaos is the understanding of infinite possibility. Uh, we often define chaos as a negative. Remember, taking the connotation out of things. We're going to actually jump over to Merriam-Webster's dictionary here real quick and give you, because uh, I love using definitions. The definition of chaos from Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is, the first one is a state of utter confusion. Utter confusion. Oh, no, everything's terrible. The second one is a state of things in which chance is supreme. Now, it is to note that in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says often capitalized. So when we have capital chaos, right, which would be one of the primordials, they actually mention uh, that it's used as a primordial and has something to do with cosmos. But as a capital idea, a capital C chaos, a primordial, it's a state of things in which chance is supreme. This is the understanding that there's was and continues to be infinite possibility, that everything comes from infinite possibility. If things didn't come from infinite possibility, there would be no possibility. So as we go through uh, these primordials, <clears throat> excuse me, as we go through these primordials, we go through a cycle. And so from infinite possibility, we can give things a definition of sorts. We can give them structure. This is creation. And so the idea of creation is actually something that's both intrinsic to humanity and something that we revere in humanity or we revere as humanity. And that's why it's often used in organized religions to be something that's a little too, a little too relied upon. One second here. All right. Sorry. I don't usually drink on the podcast, but a little, a little tickle in the throat there. So we have creation 
And creation, again, is the organization of something. We're giving it structure. That's really what creation represents, is, is something was given structures. We had, we had chaos, which is infinite possibility. And, we, and from that infinite possibility, we've defined some structure. And so once you have this structure, you have creation. And thus, things can be created. And if things can be created, they can then go into the next piece, which is to be ordered. So once you have a structure, you can fill it with stuff. Um, this would be known as, if we look at it from the theosophical understanding of creation, that we were created, if you want to go with that belief structure and faith structure, our experiences would be what orders us, what fills that creation. So order is the represented by the yin yang symbol and the representation there is the trap, right? So the trap in most mysticism and mystical schools and the, um, the deep understandings of the universe is to talk about duality. And a lot of old teachers, ancient teachers and ancient philosophers like to use this understanding of duality to trick people or to weed out the individuals who didn't quite get it. I don't believe in that kind of bullshit. So here is actually the representation of duality. Duality is the representation of what's known as Trinity. The reason we talk about duality is because we're talking about measurement structures. So we had chaos, infinite possibility. We had creation to give some sort of structure or definition. And by doing that, we created in this analogy, we're going to say we created a coin on one side of that coin is heads and the other side is tails, right? So, Really, anything can be on one side of the coin or the other. That's duality. Duality is two sides of a coin. So we could have light and dark. We can have soft and hard. We can have male, female. We can have um, fun, not fun. It doesn't matter. What they are is measurements. So we can measure one side of the coin compared to the other. And those measurements can get infinitely large. They can get just gigantic, whereas it could be you know, one quadrillion or negative one quadrillion, right? So it's just, so there is the positive negative that the coin is positive negative. The number is arbitrary. It's just how big we want to make the scale. And by creating a scale like that, that's what creation does. It created a scale. So it created a coin. So creation creates a duality. That duality must be filled with those measurements, right? So we've, we've given a little bit of a structure and then things can be measured upon that structure. This is what's known as ordering. The duality actually represents Trinity. We have two sides of the coin, but they're both sides are measuring a coin. So you have one side, the other side and the coin itself. So when we talk about yin yang, this is why yin always has yang, yang always has yin. That's the saying we always use there. So yin yang is that representation, which is why we use the yin yang symbol to represent this of Trinity, two sides to the same coin. Dualistic is the measurement structure and is a trap. You can get stuck in dualism constantly it's just keep being keep creating bigger measurements and you'll be stuck in dualism it's the understanding that this thing is actually trinity it's two sides of the same coin and that's why you can never separate yin from yang and you can never separate yang from yin because they're just two measurements of something whatever that creation defined if it's the option of light or dark if it's the option of which is really you know by creating one thing you create two things you create the opposite of it and without that balance be it asymmetrical or you know in its 
pressure motivation. You've created both. So creation is the dualism. Ordering is the trinity. That's where we often get mixed up. The yin-yang system also usually gets mixed up in representing dualism or duality. Creation was duality, right? So we had singular and then we had dual. So creation would be dualistic. And then we have order, which is trinity, because we're really talking about one specific thing that we're feeling the measurements of. We're figuring out what is the absolute limits of these things. Because they will eventually have, even though I say, you know, there's infinite infinite measurement there, it's not chaos. So it's not infinite possibility. It's just how many slices of that measurement you really want to break up, you know, and it's arbitrary because we use numbers and functions like that. There is a pressure motivation limit. And so once something is ordered, it becomes complete. And when the coin is complete, it stops being the thing that was created and starts being something else. So that at that point, it must be destroyed. So the fourth part of the cycle is destruction. And so if we had singular point chaos that becomes infinitely large, when so we have creation, which created this duality, actually created both the positive or the negative, or it created two measurement structures by giving a structure, it then can be ordered. Once it's ordered, it's destroyed because it stops being the thing that was created and it starts becoming something else. And so once something is destroyed, it's not negative here. Remember, eliminate connotation. Yes, there can be bad destruction, right? But really what's occurring here is it's returning back to chaos and then chaos gets infinitely bigger. So without this cycle, chaos couldn't be what it is. And that's why it's the first piece. It's infinite possibility. And because it's infinite, it must be continually increased. And to do that, something must be destroyed that was first created and then ordered. It then becomes destroyed to give chaos its infinite possibility. And so you can pick any point of the cycle to start, but it's a bit of a lie to say everything starts at creation. And really, it kind of in the cycle starts as chaos because chaos is the first point of the cycle. But it could start at destruction. It could start at order. doesn't matter where you start in the cycle. It's always going to go through the cycle. That's how the universe works. And it's in doing so, always trying to find the balance. Because the balance gives us the cycle. Once we find the balance of something, once it's fully ordered, it can be destroyed. It can go back to chaos. And we just keep going around. Keep going around. Right? So that's essentially as close to a nutshell as I can get of how the universe works in, in the grand macrocosmic microcosmic balance structures of all of that. Now from the whole depression thing to the sick, the cycles, chaos, creation, order, destruction, we come back to what I was talking about uh, in between those two things, which was we have the mind, the body and the spirit uh, typically represented as body, mind, spirit, or spirit, but however you want to organize it, there are some connections there. And I spent a lot of time trying to put these connections together. As a body worker, I work with the human body quite a bit, but I learned early on in my career that I wasn't just doing that. I wasn't just working with the body. In fact, the body is somehow one of the ways that I work with the mind most often uh, than not. Uh, and on occasion, I'm able to, I'm occasionally I'm able to work with the spirit as well. 
Now, the spirit is an interesting defined option, right? The spirit is part of humanity that isn't necessarily understood, and everyone really needs to define that for themselves. If you want more on these subjects, I have episodes 22, 23, and 24. I really dive into what the body, mind, and spirit is all about. Um, I call it body, mind, and other back then, but it's really you know, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, that comes from episode 21 where I was defining self. I define the self as body, mind, and spirit. It has to be all three pieces. Can't just be one or the other. That's really important for understanding self-awareness and mental health, and then also projecting into spirituality. And some people come at these from all different angles. Where you start on the cycle doesn't really matter. You're always gonna come back and, you know, find chaos and then move through the cycle again pick a point, you're always going to go through the cycle. So some people start very spiritual in their lives. They have a good understanding of why they're here, what they want to do with this life. You know, maybe they have an understanding of reincarnation, or maybe they have an understanding of a faith belief structure in which they are going to exalt for a specific reason to their God or gods, you know, and, and all of humanity is always trying to be, we've always from the very beginning been seeking this out. Right? We've been seeking out some sort of position as to why we are in the universe, why this thing called Earth exists and why we're on it and why we're kind of a little bit in control of what's going on here. Not fully, but like we're up on the scale. You know, We have technologies and all these other things. And that gets into what I call true magic. And part of the connection I was talking about earlier, how I was going to talk about, you know, we have body, mind, and spirit. And there's some connections there. Here's where we're going to get into that a little bit. But before we get into that, we need to have one specific understanding as to what humanity's truest trait is and truest skill is. And it's something that's been hidden uh, in, in a lot of textual writings uh, and a lot of ancient teachings for a very long time. Um, and some people have gotten really close, but not all the way there. Uh, some understandings of how this work are almost there. And it's been defined very differently throughout history. One of the words and the word I'm going to use um, just to kind of stir up the pot a little bit is this word called magic and specifically magic with a K. We've looked at magic in all sorts of different ways throughout history. In some facts, there's whole communities who uh, believe heavily in the practice of magic, but they don't always understand the idea of what magic really is. Now, there are a specific subset of magicians or magic users in the world that are known as chaos magic practitioners, and they're pretty darn close as to what they're doing, eh, but not every practitioner knows as much as the other. There are others who use divinatory practices such as the tarot deck, or um, so we have diviners, we have magic users, we have all of these people activating in the, what's the world known as the woo-woo is, or the spiritual world, right? Or the spiritual actions or understandings. Um, we have an individual like Cliff High who uses linguistic uh, understandings of just how our vernaculars work and how our linguistics work in looking at the power of the human mind to predict things due to the languages that we're using. So he did uh, web scrubbing and I'm not doing this any justice. He's a super smart dude and he created all this programming himself and better defines it than I do. But he uh, used the web bot to scrub the web, which means to go out and collect data, right? And he found by collecting the data on forums and news articles and stuff like that, the human mind has a little bit of precognitance to it. So we will start to use 
specific languages before things actually happen. And so you can have what he calls predictive linguistics, which means if a gardening, I think the example he uses is if a, if a gardening forum uh, starts talking about, you know, stops talking about perennials and starts talking about um, some crazy event that's going to occur, like a, like a deep winter or, you know, which has something to do with gardening, but maybe not. But then maybe they start talking about like, you know, a war or some tragic event or something like that, then there's something to that and it can be used as predictive language. This has to do with the fact, uh, uh, most people could call it psychic nature, right? It's a leaking out of the mental capacity, the mental power. Why did I bring all that up? Because it comes back to this word called magic, right? And magic with a K is inclusive uh, to that whole subset divination practices between tarot readers, astrologers, um, and all these different practices that we have practiced from the dawn of time, as far as I'm concerned, you know, some sort of prediction as to what's going to happen next or some understanding thereof of why. And this gets into one of my important things that I brought up in this podcast. I don't like to ask why questions because why questions are spiritual questions. Why questions are fully subjective. There's very little objectivity to them and they answer specific reasonings for ourselves. So if you're going to ask a why question, you're asking a spiritual question and should be avoided otherwise. So when we ask these why questions, we can do it using theosophical understanding as the, the religions. This is why I say organized religions are very dangerous because if one person or one group is answering why, it doesn't fit everybody. That's not how this works. Remember, depression is uniquely who you are. My whys are not going to fit your whys. We might have some similar whys, but they're not going to specifically answer each other's, right? So with that understanding, coming back to this word called magic, I define magic very differently than most. Uh, I believe the magic most people are practicing, they're practicing very regularly and they just don't understand it. Magic is the action of using the greatest skill humanity was ever given and uh, has access to. In fact, this would be what fills in the blank to what the God or gods gave humanity or what some, whatever created, whatever your creator gave you. Some people call that willpower or, uh, you know, gave will or gave choice. It's defined very differently throughout all understandings. What we're talking about is imagination. The greatest skill of all humanity, as far as how our material world, the world we live in, which is a, a I've talked about before, is this light-based system. We, you live in a world of hard light, but this is already getting quite lengthy, and I'm, I'm trying not to jump too far down the rabbit hole here. It's just a waypoint. We're just chilling. We're just hanging out, have a cup of tea at the stop point on the way. But I have gone very in-depth into how universe is balanced and how this thing called pressure motivation works. I've also talked about how everything's you live in an electric universe, which is uh, light based. So everything is light. There are different parts of light. So there's light we can see, there's light we can smell, there's light we can touch, there's light we can interact with as far as hard light, the walls and the floor and the, the earth itself and those molecules and how it's just a, a frequency range, um, typically measured in the Hertzian frequencies which is the, the understanding of the trough and the crest of a wave and how that 
also corresponds to the electricity we use, which is AC, not DC. DC is true electricity. AC is a transformation of that and a, a misunderstanding of what true electricity is. And true electricity comes from the passing of the uh, uh, magnetics over the dielectric plane, dielectric plane being that of the counter space. Uh, and there's this um, whole nine yards of how, how magnets work and uh, go look at Theriopotosis, um, Ken Wheeler link on the archive. All of this, I have links to somebody who talks about this on tamingindresses.com slash archive. Um, plenty of resources there to go check all this out. He gives the best breakdown of how this all comes about as far as how electricity works. And it's a passing of the dielectric and magnetism across there. And so with that understanding, we kind of can say that, yes, we live in an electric universe because that's constantly what's happening. And light itself is an electrical function and is a frequency and thus everything is light. Um, Russell Walters uh, talked about this or Walter, I always get it backwards. It doesn't matter. Um, so with that, we have this understanding of imagination, right? And imagination is the act we humans get to do that brings things into reality, right? It's magic. To take something in the simulation in our mind, this imagination we have, and bring it into reality is true magic. All invention is magic. All creation is magic. All, you know, language and voice and communication is is magic. That's why words have power. In fact, we had, um, I talked about in one episode, it's called kodadama. It's a Japanese word for the uh, power of a word. Uh, it has kodadama, it has magnitude. And with that understanding, you can look at something like the secret, or you can look at um, uh, those posters, the wish boards, I think they call them, um, you know, how people bringing something into fruition or the law of attraction, how these things work. Now there's some misrepresentation there because you have to remember like there has to be balance, right? So if your imagination is that there's nuclear war and the whole world blows up, there's plenty of other people to unbalance that and be like, no, no, no. No, I, I, I don't imagine that. So it doesn't occur, right? So we're constantly in this psychological battle a little bit into people who want to be like billionaires and they want everybody else to fucking suffer. And then the other people who are like, no, I'm totally cool with like, if everybody just has enough to get by and have a good, comfortable life, right? So that's, that's what would be considered a spiritual war at that sense, because one of the spiritual powers we have is this thing called imagination, simulation. The magic, in my definition, is the reaction in which we get to take it out of the mind. So first we depress a bunch of stuff. It all gets depressed into our mind. And then we get to create magic. We get to take it out of the mind and bring it into materium. We get to invent. We get to create. And thus we too are creators. And so if even in that whole sense, not to, you know, sit on my laurels too much, but if you want creation to be the first thing, then you too are a god. That's how that works because you have the ability to create, to invent. That's our, one of our greatest skills, most powerful skills human has is to do that, to make something come from the imagination, the simulation world, and bring it out of depression into material, into the world around us. And so we too are gods. In fact, if you want to take that one step further, we're actually gods of the fact that we're omnipotent presences over our body. So stepping back to this mind body thing, cause that's what we're going to define first here. Bodies are made up of trillions upon trillions of cells, uh, bacteria, 
all of these organisms doing two specific things, replicating and living. And they're living to replicate. That's what they do. That they're just trying to live. They're trying to exist. And they're doing it very thanklessly. And they're doing it very organized. Uh, you're essentially a walking coral reef. Um, you actually are much more complex than a coral reef, but coral reefs are quite complex. But you're just a walking coral reef, right? You're, you're mostly water, a bunch of cells and organisms living in, in that environment, creating a structure that's all symbiotic to each other and just doing its thing, right? And so you're an omnipotent presence over that. You're a mind that gets to control a body which means you're kind of your body's God. So when you go cheeseburger, when you go pickle, when you go carrot, when you go drink a water, your body just deals with it, deals with whatever you put in. When you go drugs, alcohol, sex, addictions, whatever, anything you throw at it, the body has to deal with. It has no choice. It doesn't get to go, no, stop. I'm not going to pick this up. I'm not going to do that. In fact, it tries sometimes when the body fails to do something, action or uh, recourse, uh, we just don't listen. That's the idea of addiction is that we don't listen to the body and what it's telling us. And we have this whole endocrine system. We have a nervous system. We have the seven systems of the body that do all these things to tell us all of this stuff all the time and give us all this signaling that we don't pay attention to. And thus we get to be a God. We get to just be like, no body, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. It's not the best way to be, but it is uh, classically defined as that would be an omnipotent presence, which would give you godhood over your body. And we also get to create things because we can take it from imagination and bring it into materium. Thus, we have the mind-body connection. And remember, magic is the process of bringing these things into fruition. It's also the process of divining. We can have divination through the tarot deck, through astrology, through dousing through uh, throwing runes all of these practices we've had throughout human history now getting to this mind body thing right so this omnipotent presence force and this conversation that's very tough to interact with because we don't understand it is one of the first stepping stones of self-awareness and mental health First, we have the mental health aspect that you are depressed. You are in a depression. You are constantly taking in information, be it from your body through its sensory apparatus, known as, as, as the, the senses, or through the outside world and all the stuff it's doing constantly through the vagus nervous system, picking up on things. All of this information, just getting depressed into the mind. So we live in this depression. It's the unique way in which we see the world. You see as just a specific title, but it's the unique, it's the unique way you smell or use any of your senses. It's yours, right? And with that, you get this thing called the body, which is the vehicle for this mind. And this is what we talk about when we talk about samsara. We talk about enlightenment. We talk about, um, you might hear the phrases that you're living in a simulation because you are. Your body is translating things constantly it's it, it well it's translating the interactions from the mind and the mind's also translating the things that it's getting from the body and sometimes there's some really bad poor translations there and this is where the idea of self-awareness first kind of comes into start and comes into starting when you are a body mind person there can be mind spirit people as well where you start is kind of up to the person but for body mind people it's that connection between mind and body and how it's talking to each other and what the body's trying to tell us, what the mind's trying to tell the body. Because the mind is the translation point. 
That's, that's it's what it's supposed to do. Consciousness is that. It's this translation all the time. It's taking imagination and bringing it forward. And we'll get back into imagination a little later when I talk about simulation. I go off the deep end when I talk about the invention of humanity's war and blah, 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 blah. All these soapboxes I've always talked about. Anyway, staying away from that just for now. I'm trying to fit this into an hour before I get into a huge rant. So the mind-body connection I define as heart. To have heart. That is the best word I can come up with, with what that connection looks like. So when we talk about having heart or when the, you know, certain systems out there talk about like going into the heart chakra and, and the heart chakra's temple and clearing it out and, or, you know, putting your heart into it. That's kind of what we're talking about there. Not even kind of, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the mind body connection. And one of the best ways to cultivate that is through self-awareness to be aware of, Oh, my stomach did not like what I just ate. Okay, maybe I ate too much or maybe... What are you doing to your body? You're its omnipotent presence. You're its God. What are you doing to it? Are you a, are you a dictator? Are you a, you know, what, what kind of ruler are you? You're just like a overarching, you know, just brutal monarch. Like, are you, you know, like, what are you doing to your body and what it's what is its response? You know, the way you treat yourself is going to. This is why we call it the heart connection through your heart. It's going to define how you treat other people as well, right? It's also going to be how you see your depression. You know, my story was suicide attempts and physical harm to myself, uh, and just hatred for myself, which turned into not so great relationships outward. And it's not to say that I love humanity. No, I think we're a failed experiment at this point, but that's my own personal opinion. And I try to stay away from that in some cases so that I can try to just give people the general information that they can use, right? So we have this conversation between the body and the mind. That's called heart. And that's that's the step up from just having a body and a mind is to learn the connection and learn about like, you know, how do you put your heart into something? What, what is your heart feel for? Or what is, what longs, what does your heart long for? That's the connection between mind and body. And so that's one of the steps on the realm of self-awareness. Now let's step to the other conversation that happens. The mind is the translation point between the body and the spirit. And I'm going to go off on a long tangent about where that looks like in spirituality, but let's start with mind and spirit now, right? So we have mind, we have this house of the depression, house of ego, house of consciousness, where all that lives. And then there's this thing called spirit and spirit is an understanding of universal nature, universal law, things that we don't understand. Um, the answers to our why questions, uh, as few of those as we might actually get to, to answer. We also have a whole set of instincts. Oh, I'm sorry, not instincts, a whole set of senses that are spiritual senses like instincts, intuition, that little, you know, feeling, uh, the, the erector pili muscles, you know, st your hair standing up, you know, when there's this interactions that occur. Uh, I talked about intuition and how that all leads into imagination. That was a, a back in the, the late 30 episodes. Um, that spiritual side of things, right? The answer to our why questions is the downloads people are talking about when the, you know, in the spiritual communities, when the woo-woo communities, when they talk about getting a download or talking to their, uh, talking to spirit or you know, having those conversations. And again, we're going to get into that a little bit later here when I go off on a tangent as I usually do. But 
those translations to the mind and the mind back up to spirit, that's called soul. The definition there is soul. And the reason for that is to understand what spirit is and what mind is and how consciousness works in that regard. Uh, going back to Ken Wheeler stuff on, you know, electricity, right? To, to create electricity is a passing of magnetics over the dielectric. Dielectric is the counter space, what we don't really understand. Magnetics, something we're, we poorly understand. Um, both fit into the realm of spiritual in some cases because they create one specific thing, uh, which is the translation between spirit and mind. The only way we can understand spirit or all the other etherical and other things out there in the universe that we don't quite understand is to have them translated into the mind. And when that occurs, when we supplant spirituality down into mind, we have a soul. So when we use the word soul, something like Iamblichus or someone like Iamblichus talks, uh, you can read the theory of the vehicle, uh, theory of the vehicle of the soul, right? So, taking this thing known as spirit or whatever it is, giving it some sort of sustenance that's not actually substance and applying it to a physical form. That's to insert the soul, the conversation between spirit and mind into a body. So the soul gets planted into a body and that's, so you have the vehicle for the soul, which is defined as the body and mind connection heart to give something a heart or have heart, that connection, that conversation. And the top part of that is soul. Soul is what's added to give that function or meaning, if you will, which is what a lot of people do a play on to, you know, coerce you into believing one thing or another is to be like, here's your meaning in life. And this is what you're supposed to live for. No, you answer that for yourself. That's the answering of why questions, answering of spiritual questions. Also uniquely who you are, right? So we have depression, which is the mind that's uniquely who you are. We have your body, which is a weird chemical makeup of all this other stuff of your experiences and genetics and the things you put in your body and the things you do with it. That's uniquely who you are. And then we have spirit, which is the home of your why questions or how you answer your why questions also uniquely who you are. So top to bottom body and spirit housed in the mind home of the depression, uniquely who you are. Conversation between body and mind, heart, conversation between mind and spirit, soul. The thing with the soul, when I was talking about the dielectric and, and magnetics and the crossover there to have electricity, means the soul has magnitude. So for something to exist in the material world, it must has must have magnitude. Material world being the world we live in, this reality that we've created and defined for ourselves because it is a simulation, uh, which we'll get into here in a second. The soul having magnitude thus has place in time and space. So anytime something has magnitude in this material world, it has a place in time and space. This is what allows for us to use statements like soul food and um, use words like, you know, cultural soul, the soul of a culture, the soul of a nation, the it's giving it magnitude. It's giving it a place in time and space. So to have soul is to have a place in time and space, have magnitude. Why does that matter? Because that measurement gives us words like nostalgia, yearning, things that are a little more than just craving, which is like 
my body has a craving, right? So I eat or I do action. That's the mind body. That's heart, right? Then there's this thing like call to a higher power, yearning, uh, pull on my soul, soul mates, um, a different understanding that's not quite material, but has magnitude. It has some sort of place in time and space. Air is typically a representation of the etheric or, or, or more towards the spiritual side because air is all around us, right? And it has magnitude, but like we don't see it or think about seeing it. We actually see all the space in between. We see all the things that fill the space where air then isn't, but it also it is. It gets a little complicated, I know. But if you think about it in that regard, like it's something that's there, but we don't necessarily interact with it. Like it's a physical thing there. That's the realm of soul, right? It has magnitude. And the more magnitude something has, the more, I don't want to use effect or effect, but the more it is, I know that doesn't necessarily make sense, but that's just kind of how you have to think about it in that re regard, uh, because that's what pulls us into things when we talk about reincarnation and we talk about the long sleep and we talk about the, the importance of of different things can be weighed, right? Because of their magnitude, the, the effect and effect. And so this understanding of magnitude is the understanding of the soul. The soul has magnitude and thus has a place in time and space and can be referenced, which is a very important thing. So we can get into our translation. Without that understanding, we could never even talk about or even try to fathom spirit, whatever the definition you place there, because without that magnitude, that place in time and space, we have no reference point. The body we can reference very easily. I can, I can touch myself. I can, you know, I can touch walls and, you know, I can use its senses because it's its senses, not specifically our senses. We use its senses to create in our minds a simulation. So we live in a simulation, right? And, with that understanding, if we're living in a simulation, which is our interactions of this physical form to the physical world or materium, then we can look at why magnitude would matter, why something having soul or putting one's effort into something or putting one's heart into something would matter because it translates upward. It translates into this understanding of magnitude, which means something can have soul. So a nation can have soul, a culture can have soul. <clears throat> A particular type of food can be called soul food. That's a cultural reference. So culture is a spiritual thing. It's the organization thereof. It's it's the magnitude thereof. So it has it becomes a why question, a subjective idea, not so much of an objective idea. And with that understanding, we can have theosophy, we can have religions. We just got to be very careful of the organized sets of them. Uh, we can have understandings like Jainism, a, a wonderful theosophical slash philosophical understanding of how karma and dharma works, uh, something that's often quite misrepresented and misunderstood. We have this understanding of karma, which a lot of people say like, oh, that was your karma or, oh, they got instant karma. There's no such thing as instant karma. Um, karma is multiple lifetimes. Dharma is this lifetime. 
So that's the misunderstanding. But I highly recommend checking out Jainism if you have any understand if you want to have any understanding of karma, dharma, and those interactions, and also reincarnation and how that works with the long sleep and different understandings of how we cycle through the cycles. Jainism, great understanding. Uh, interplays with Buddhism and also the, for the Hindu side of people with Hindu um, Hinduism, the way of the Hindu people interplays there and how they understand it. all of these interweavings. It's what also gives us, not Jainism, but this understanding of soul and heart and the connection there, which I've never defined nor am I going to define just yet, uh, we can look at something like Buddhism and how Buddhism can be applied because Buddhism is a philosophy, not a religion or theosophy. Buddhism is a, a philosophy first, a way of understanding the world around us, and thus can be applied to different things. Now, Taoism also applies Buddhism, but Taoism is a specific understanding of the universe. Uh, we can look at, you know, you can be a Christian Buddhist. It, the Buddhism is a way of living the physical material life. And you can add that, those philosophical understandings to spirituality, if you'd like, or theosophy, if you'd like. So it's, it's an added, it, not, I don't want to call it an additive because it's not, it, it can subsist on its own. It's, it's a well-rounded understanding, but I can go on and on about that as well. Sticking to what our topic here is, this waypoint, this little tea time discussion on the on the road of the travel that I've been on with this thing known as self-awareness, mental health, and spirituality. We've talked about the mental health side of things, that connection, and how the depression is the conversations, the communication between body and mind and spirit and mind. Body can't talk to spirit, though. <clears throat> That's a very important um that's a very, very important understanding to have at this waypoint. There is no discussion between body and spirit. That's why the mind exists. That's why the consciousness exists. And I'm going to explain something that can be very challenging, um, not only as a concept or principle idea to understand. I, I'll hesitate to say it's a principle understanding because I don't have any. Um, it's a it's a working theory right now. But at a conceptual level, it's hard to understand, but also at a this can fuck with your mind a bit. Um, so that's my fair warning of it can make you feel very small and unimportant. And I don't mean it to sound that way. I mean it to give a definition that no one's willing to talk about yet. I haven't found many people. There may be, there's a few, but not many who are willing to actually say this. Um, and in fact, entire organizations are trying to keep people from, ever referencing this understanding that I'm about to give because it would upend all of the understandings that we've built so far and make people go a little bit deeper, a little bit farther at this juncture. I would like to say, um, there's a lot of people out there, quote unquote, waking up or talking about this thing known as the awakening. And it's an important subject. Be careful who you trust and be careful who you talk to. Make sure, make sure you understand this next piece before. And I'm saying this because you need to understand this piece before we go into the bigger piece I'm about to talk to, talk about. You get to decide. What I'm talking about that creation was the biggest lie ever told is because it took away your ability to say, oh, that's not how I see it. That's not how I understand it. This is how I understand it. This is how I, it took away your individuality of that sense. And so 
You must maybe be the one who decides how to answer your why questions. You must be the one to be in control of your depression, your unique way in which you see the world because it is uniquely yours and I can't define it for you, nor can I make it for you. You need to have your own heart, your understanding of your mind-body connection. That is the core subject matter of self-awareness and mental health as I represent it, my vernacular for it. Without that... It's very hard to grasp the next set. So if you're still working on that, awesome. This is just a waypoint. We're still traveling down that road. I'm going to throw some more crap at you. If it doesn't make sense, you just let it go for now. You just it does, you don't interact with it right now. You can even just head off right now. Head over to TamingHindrances.com. Check out the archive. Leave a review. I thank you for listening. You can just close this episode out and move on with your day. Totally okay. Go back and listen to a different episode or, you know, move back into some of the other material that I talked about. But that being said, that goes for everybody. That goes for everybody in this whole quote unquote great awakening or awakening phase. And I'm going to give you a woo woo understanding of why, because if you look at the astrological side of things and you look at what's called the ages and how things go through these cycles that I was talking about, we're coming to the destruction cycle of one specific thing. It's called the age of... Aquarius. No, I always get, damn it, I always get that wrong. <laughs> the age of Pisces, the fish. There we go. Um, we're moving from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. The age of Pisces, the fish, the school of fish, is that. It's a, it's a collective organization of the fishies making community, making, inventing things and building society. That's what we've been doing for the last, I don't know, a couple hundred years. A couple thousand years, actually. We've been building society. That's what humanity's been up to. And to do that, we have to have community. We have to have not so much the individual, but more so the school of fish, right? And just to follow along the school of fish. And the problem with that is we end up learning that some of the individuals at the front of the pack, at the front of the school, didn't have our best interests in mind and didn't get things correctly. So I'm going to make one specific statement. Um... History is written by the winner, not the loser. Okay. The person who who won the war or won the battle, they get to write the history. They get to say what happened or what's really true or or how it is defined that way. And that goes from everything from the debate and and structure of the forum to actual kinetic uh, warfare or, or physical warfare. The winner gets to write history. The loser gets to hide it. And there's been a lot of hidden histories in the world. And that's part of this understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about awakening or great awakening is there's a lot of people out there talking about this and you have to pick and choose what resonates with you and what doesn't make sense, what is not part of your belief structure. Because if you let someone else define it for you, you're not quite getting what we're talking about. We're talking about the age of Aquarius. So when you leave the age of Pisces, it's destroyed Everything's returned back to chaos. And we start the age of Aquarius, which is what everyone says we're starting right now, which is known as the age of Aquarius. It's the age of knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom being defined as uh, knowing where to look for the answer, knowledge being the answer to that question, right? So it's better to be wise than knowledgeable. It's better to know where to look to get the right answers than it is to know the right answer. And there's a lot of people out out there right now in the Great Awakening and Awakening community that are talking... And they're only being knowledgeable. They're just answering questions. And they're like, yeah, this is the absolute answer, blah, blah, blah. 
it's much more better to be wise and a wise person makes other people wise by giving them places to look. So that's why I have the archive on my website. That's why I tell you to go listen to other people. That's why I tell you to make up your own damn mind and not listen to what I'm saying, just using as a, a reference voice, just a, a different way of looking at things, a different way of understanding things, a, a different methodology and in, in to get your own self-awareness, your own mental health, to do what's right for you you because no one else gets to define that and no one else is going to understand because that's what depression is all about it's uniquely who you are it's uniquely your experiences in this world which is what defines spirituality later for the why questions so with all that out of the way i would like to uh shout out russell brand i've watched some of his stuff recently and i think i'm gonna if i don't already have it on the archive i'm definitely going to put a link in uh russell brand is crushing it just fucking crushing it shout out to him he's doing an amazing job of Finding the middle road, right? It's not left. It's not right. It's not Democrat. It's Republican. All that's bullshit. All of these divisional lines people keep creating, white, black, Asian, American, European, Scandinavian, African, South African, um, poor, rich, middle class. Uh, these are what we're talking about when I talk about the order of things, right? The creation for that order. Now, remember, order, duality, two measurements. Who fucking created that? Think about it. Who created the separations? Who did that? They had an agenda and they had something specific in mind, right? This goes all the way back to all the fucking wars we fought about when it comes to religion and theosophy. And yes, I'm going to get heated on this because it's time for me to start poking a little bit harder to get people kind of figuring this stuff out. <clears throat> Um, that creation is a separation. It's a way of keeping you from connecting with the person next to you. All right. Not teaching someone about the melanin structures in their skin. And that's why genetically their skin is one color compared to a different color. And that comes from the genetical background of their ancestry, which is a cultural reference, which is a spiritual reference. So you got to be very careful with culture, but it doesn't, define us in the sense that we can't, aren't also trying to be human is a separation structure. So all of these different definitions are dualistic and all of them are one coin. White, black, Asian, American, non-American, African, South African, Indian, Muslim, uh, Judas, uh, uh, Hebrew, Judaic, Hasidic, non-Hasidic, uh, Christian, Presbyterian, Catholic, Mennonite, all of these different pieces and separations are measurements of understandings. The coin, remember, do, don't look at duality. Duality is just the measurement. I can pick out whatever fucking measurement I want. The coin is separation, is 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 hatred is is fear is xenophobia is power and control because that's what those things do by making you hate the person next to you because they're different than you in some fucking ways any fuck they like mcdonald's and you like burger king you like pepsi they like coke that's how trivial this shit is right at a cultural level it's different at a cultural level no, there should be preservation and to protect culture and understanding, but to share it openly because it's amazing. 
understandings of magnitude of the soul of those people, of the genetical lineage, of the place and time, right? So yes, China has magnitude because it's a place and time. America has magnitude as a place and time. Any country, Africa, Sweden, the European Union even at the, its in own understanding, the Roman Empire, we can go back and talk about that. The Egyptian Empire, we can talk about uh, the Syrian Empire. We can talk about um, the Mongols and the creation of the Silk Road. All of these things have magnitude, which means they had soul, which means they had a place in time, and thus they are cultural references and should be protected and understood and talked about and shared openly and freely. What necessarily shouldn't be done with that is this piece that the control structures that coin is doing, which is the separation side of things. There are a large group of people who want you separated as much as possible because the more separated we are, the more easily we are controlled, right? So if you are a white person and you hate black people, one, you're fucking wrong because you don't understand what's going on and you've been led there, be it your upbringing. Racism is passed on generation to generation. Xenophobia of the East to West is passed on generation to generation. And yes, I I'm also on the middle ground. This is why I'm talking about uh, when I talked about Russell Barron, I talked about following the middle ground. The middle ground there is, yeah, we're going to have Vietnam vets who are always going to be fearful of Asian culture because we put them in one of the most traumatic experiences ever known as war. And we also for years before that taught them to hate their enemy, which was the Asian populaces, no matter what Asian populace that was, because we didn't understand them here in the West, that there were different Asian populaces. And even inside of the Asian communities, inside of their own countries, there's different polyphenol types and different understandings of their cultural references. And like we don't understand that these division lines existed and thus you get an entire um, set of veterans who that's what they were trained to do. So it's really hard to break them of that. It's also really hard to break someone of something that they don't even know is the wrong option, right? That they were trained to do that by a warmongering feared full culture uh, understanding of the Western military complex that wanted that to occur. Right? So these, that's an extreme example, but then you also have it at the very minuscule cultural representation of um, big business, right? So you have Pepsi and Coke. It's a war. All of this is called war. It is the greatest invention of humanity. All of our minds are simulating war all the time. And so I commend someone like Russell Brand and others who are finding the middle ground, right? It's not about Democrats. It's not about Republicans. It's not about left. It's not about right. It's not about China, America, European Union. It's not about, it's not about all of these different separations. It's not what this is about anymore. It's about the individual and the connections that that individual needs, body, mind, and spirit to be human. We're not human yet. We're not. The definition we have for humanity, what we call human, we're not even fucking close. We have ultimately failed as an experiment. The United States of America has failed as an experiment overall. doesn't mean I'm anti-American. I fucking love America. We're full of amazing people. 
But no one wants to think that. They just want to get that whole representation of, oh, Americans are fucking, you know, gun-toting, blah, 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 blah. No, that's just like, that's just a, a, a misunderstood representation. In fact, it should just be a funny joke. It should just be a meme. Like, ah, tee, that's funny. We should laugh at that because it's not true. Yes, there are people that act like that. Absolutely. And a lot of times there's people who act like that jokingly because they think it's funny. It's just a meme, right? But it people take it to the serious idea of a divisional line. And so I do commend someone like Russell Brand and the people who are, are right through the middle ground of just giving out correct information or just information that's not fucking biased or skewed one way or the other. I try to fully represent my personal opinions, but also the information as a whole, right? I tell you when I'm going to go on a rant. I tell you when, and I'm not, no, I'm not perfect at it. I actually do a pretty poor job sometimes at it, but it's the idea of giving out the information and then you figuring out whatever the fuck you're going to do with it. That's the most important part. That's self-awareness. That's mental health. That's leaving the age of Pisces and going into the age of Aquarius, which is what they define as the awakening or the great awakening or becoming awake, not woke. That bullshit is bullshit, and we all got to wake up to the active idea that wokeism is a funded idea. Someone is funding the practice of wokeism because wokeism is a separation. You got to go back to the ordering of things. If you can be woke and not woke, uh, the coin there is more separation. People who are woke and people who are unwoke. People who bring their you know, non-plastic grocery bag to the store and people who just grab a grocery bag there because they fucking forgot theirs and their kids at home and the kid just wants some goddamn milk, but they had to get eggs too and, and 17 other things because their life's so fucking tragically upset over the idea that one income can't sustain a family because Woodward Wilson created the federal reserve. And ever since then, Americans have been in debt and haven't been able to get out of that debt. So now both parents had to go to work and thus there was no single income. And now both parents are working. So no one's there to raise a child. And now the child's abandoned and abandoned childs are only going to do more abandoned. And, and then they're going to find a separation between that generation to the next generation. I can go on and on and on and on with this shit. It's everywhere. The more you look, the more you find it. Once you understand what I'm going to talk about next. War. War is the representation of humanity. That's what we did. We've, we are a warring species. One species, singular, with many different structures to it, right? We're a singular species that has this genetical coding thing, which gives us all of these different beautiful cultures. They're beautiful. They're fucking beautiful. I really wish, I really wish people would just take some time. I've been blessed in my life to have interacted with a magnitude of cultures and people from different walks of life and understandings and backgrounds and not have to have been stuck in just one lane, right? Of one idea of one type of people that do one practice of one understanding. And that's why I believe we're all connected. And that's why I define this thing called depression because that gives us our uniqueness while also connecting us. Everyone has a depression. Everyone is depressed. Every day, every hour, every minute, every second, every microsecond. We're all depressed all the time. Every single one of us. There's not one person in humanity that isn't depressed all the time. 
it's our uniquest thing and it's also what brings us together as a as a species that's the beauty of duality when you get into the non seclusion side when the coin isn't separation and control when the coin is community and connectedness and discourse and and connection you get something like the duality of depression and connecting they're 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 this they're a measurement of each other the more depressed you are the more unique you become as an individual the more experiences and abilities you have to connect to other people i am lucky to be one of the most depressed people in my circles or in my typical interactions and it can be very lonely at times to have that type of understanding and that's what makes me into such an introvert and why social interaction is so rough for me and all of these other things that I've talked about on the podcast about my story and my background because I like to try to share that to hopefully connect with others but at the same time I've also seen that in other people again people from all sorts of walks of lives and you know situations right it's really tough to try to connect to someone when everyone in power and can in control of something is telling you not to do that. That's what governments do. Governments want you separated because they can't control you if you're not separated. That's not to say the government's a bad thing. Big government, yeah, I would agree. That's a bad thing, but that's my own personal opinion. And that's, again, going back to the Russell Brand thing. Look for the middle ground. Look for the middle road. Look for balance. The greatest awakening that anyone can go through is to find this idea of balance. What's your balance? Who are you as, as a balanced person? What is the balance to the situation? The balanced situation between me and the black community as a, as a white male with a giant beard, a Viking background to the black community, my balance is a fucking amazing, beautiful things. And no, I'm not going to say you're like, oh, I love black people. And, you know, I'm not racist. I don't even think about racism. I only think about racism as a negative connotation of an imbalance of structures. The balance to that is not, let me say this very fucking clearly. The balance to racism is not to be afraid of interacting with the black community as a white person. That's not the balance. And that's not what the black community is trying to get us to do. Right? In fact, it's just community in that sense. The black community absolutely gets to have their own cultural representation. That's the beauty behind culture. It gives soul. It gives magnitude. They're the first ones to classify it. The black community is the first cultural reference to use the word soul to reference their cultural interactions, their food, their music, their to give it soul, to have soul. They're the first ones to figure it out. And so my representation, my balance to interacting with them is to typically say, I don't quite understand. <laughs> I don't. I wasn't. I, your, I, your depression is uniquely yours. But I get to look for the connections there. No, I'm not a big fan of rap music. I love hip hop and R&B though, typically without lyrics, but I love the beats and the sounds. I love... And I'm talking specifically about the American black community because I haven't, I've met some of the African black community, but I have fewer interactions there, but soul food, soul food's fucking great. The South and the differentiations there, there's just so many beautiful interactions 
that I love that I get to say, I don't quite understand. Teach me about it. Show me what's up. You know, like that's a fundamentally important piece to growing as a person to find a situation where you're like, I'm not quite sure how to interact with this because I don't quite understand it. And then to interact with it and find understanding and find connection while understanding the representation that like, yeah, they're uniquely who they are because their own individual depression, not every black person is the same, right? Like not every white person is the same, not every Asian person, like those titles and those representations are just bullshit. It's a person. It's just a fucking human being trying to be a human being. It's just a person. You get groups of them together. Yeah, we get a little scary as groups. That's how we are. But like, if that person, their entire life has been taught that they're supposed to fit into this subcategory, how am I going to be mad at them when they fit into that subcategory and that's how they act because that's how they believe they have to. That they can interact with me as a white male with privilege because I'm a white male with privilege because that's all they've ever been taught. When in fact, I came from a poor farming family. I kind of get what it means to love fucking Italian food and eat um, Velveeta cheese, right? Fried chicken's amazing because it's it was cheap and effective meal. Now it, in modern society, it's become much different. So we've forgotten that fact that chicken wings, which the black community learned how to fry and make delicious, were just like the shitty food you got cheap because no one wanted it. Like, or to take another reference, American Chinese food. Awesome, right? Who doesn't love American Chinese food? Okay, some people don't, but American Chinese food's great, but it's American Chinese food. It's not real Chinese food. In fact, China is full of provinces of all sorts of different cuisine. Anytime you see the words uh, Hunan or Sichuan, that means from the Hunan or Sichuan province, typically prepared with ingredients that you would find made there. Sichuan was known for its Sichuan peppers because they grew a lot of Sichuan peppers. They also grew some other spices and different things. That's what made them really special on the Silk Road. When you go for the Sichuan, you can get the Sichuan peppers, which give you that little tingly thing on the tongue. So it makes it a Sichuan dish, right? Because of the thing, or in Japan, we have the prefectures. In India, we have Northern and Southern India. Vastly different. Just the magnitude of differentiations should not be separations. It's just beautiful places that we get to interact and learn new things and come up with new ideas. And so, no, the suppression of all these cultures and differentiations is fucking wrong. And that's part of the great awakening is to understand that, no, some atrocities have been committed. Doesn't matter if they were big. Doesn't matter if they were small. We've made massive mistakes. But your neighbor didn't make the massive mistake. The community didn't really make the massive mistake. Governments and people empowered it because they went unchecked. They didn't, they didn't have a system that was fair so that the people could be like, whoa, 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 what the fuck? No, we're not doing that. That has never existed in the humanities. Never in, that's why I say America was a failed experiment. We were supposed to be the experiment for that. America was supposed to be, so I apologize as an American I don't get to speak for the American people, but as an American born and raised in America, I would like to apologize to the rest of the world 
for failing because I have. As an American, me personally, I failed at that experiment. I'm trying to correct for that now that we were supposed to be a people who learned how to govern themselves when, in fact, we allowed for corruption. We allowed for, you know, giant corporations to take over. We allowed for this thing called lobbying. We allowed a situation in which the people making the decisions are funded by the decisions are funded by the people that those decisions would be affected, right? The pharmaceutical company pays for, I'm going to just use round numbers. There's plenty of information out there that goes one way or the other. None of it's under 50% though, as far as I can tell. Pays for about 75% of the research and development and also salaries of those individuals who get to make the government position decisions of what the pharmaceutical companies get to do. Okay, that's a conflict of interest. Short and simple, conflict of interest. So just shit like that that exists, right? That we just need to become aware of. That's part of the great awakening. That's, you know, waking up. So, again, people like Russell Brand. You know, you know people following this middle ground. Uh, Chris Martinson, uh, another, I've been trying to like rack my brain. Like, I know other ones. I have other links on the archive to these people. Russell Brand, Chris uh, Martinson. Um, just anyone who's just picking down the middle road, right? Or... Uh, as I mentioned before, doc, Dr. Rimka, not that she gets into social political stuff, but she gets into the fight between the Western medicine system and the Eastern medicine system and what we're doing right and wrong. And she doesn't just say like, no, it's all West or all East. She finds a middle ground. She finds the connecting path. She finds the 20% of truth outside of the 80% of bullshit. 40% on this side, 40% on that side, 20% down the middle, right? That's the, that's kind of the area you need to kind of play in as we go farther into all of this craziness in modern society. And I've tried to do my best at that on this podcast, and I will try to continue to do my best at that as well. So stepping back, big functional step back. When I talk about, I know that was like a 20 minute lead up to what I was talking about. Like, here's something that no one's talking about. It's because it's a, it's a game changer shock kind of thing. So I want you to take the middle ground, right? Just take the 20% in the middle. As I understand it through everything I've studied, body and mind, heart, spirit and mind, soul. To the spirit side of things and all of the different understandings there fundamentally or functionally, There is a place or a thing known as the void. It's commonly referred to as the void. Of, and most people will say they don't understand the void. I think I'm comfortable at this point saying that I have a functional idea of it. I don't necessarily have the vernacular to describe it, but I have an analogical or, or yeah, I have an analogy for why again spiritual question answer to a spiritual question is a why answer subjectively why it's really tough to kind of talk about and why some people refrain from talking about it and also most scriptural writings theosophical writings philosophical writings and uh, just general understandings don't get into it and that's kind of the realm of things that i deal with so uh, I'm going to use my martial arts background here because it's it's the way I understood it and come to the the statements of it. So I'm going to have to give that to you real quick. Um, 
in Neigong practice, which is internal martial arts, uh, so the cultivation of the internal practices, there are steps along the way. And specifically, there's the Shaolin Methods of Understanding It, which has six pieces, which is really nice and simple to kind of portray. So I'm going to use those. Uh, not saying that you need to follow these methods or that these are the exact, you know, but I find them to be fairly accurate and work as a representation. Uh, um, I'll probably also refrain at getting into the specifics of each one, but in Neigong practice, we have stages. And the first stage is Li, which is uh, strength or just physical activity. We, you know, that's going and lifting weights and going being active. We have Jin or Jing, uh, which is the understanding of the elastic forces in the body um, using the fascial system and using tendons and ligaments. Uh, and then we have uh, Yi, which is intentions and using the mind-body connection. And then we have Qi, a vital force, which is the bioelectric field and the culmination of the connection between the mind and body, what I call heart, right? After that, they have uh, Shen, which is spirit. Um, and that is soul, essentially. Uh, to have spirit is the... The soul is the representation of, again, of, of time and space, of having magnitude. So Shen is the representation of understanding the conversation between mind and spirit, right? And then they have Shi uh, or Kong Shi, which is uh, emptiness. And to activate at the empty level, the emptiness level, it's something uh, most people won't even talk about Shen and how that works because it's not well understood in that subset of Shaolin martial arts and what those things look like and how they are and how you would even go about training them, right? It's not well understood by many masters or even, you know, you know, practitioners. So yeah, they absolutely won't talk about something that they don't understand or can't do themselves, right? And so in a martial perspective, no, I can maybe activate at the chi level. Can't really activate at the Shen level because I'm still trying to figure all that out. And I absolutely can't op operate at the Shi level or the Kong Shi level, which is uh, the, the emptiness level. At a philosophical point, though, I do understand it because it's where I come from. All my life, I've always worked backwards from things. And in this case, I do the same. I know where the emptiness is. I know what this thing called the void is. And so when I talk about the primordials, chaos, creation, order, destruction, we're talking about the cycle of the universe. There is a place where the there would have to be the opposite representation to that, right? There, there must also be the balance to the cycle. It's the anti-cycle or the anti-climat or the uh, what would be known as the void where none of this exists. And the void is connected by the point of destruction and chaos where destruction brings things back to chaos, right? Brings things back to infinite possibility. There is a point in there typically represented in the Chinese uh, martial arts and their diagrams, uh, it's the it's the point of commencement that allows for things to come back to chaos. 
and this is so you have the the Wu Chi that existed before emptiness, point of commencement, and Tai Chi, the the, the action effort everything Tai Chi inclusive. Even in that, it's even tough to understand. So I'm going to give you an. I'm going to give you a painting, essentially, of what this kind of looks like. Everything, everything leads to the void and comes out of the void. The void is the balance to us, our existence, everything. If the void didn't exist, we wouldn't exist. If we don't exist, the void can't exist. The void is the balance, right? So it is infinitely large in that sense. Every time something here is created, something there is not. I know that, again, it's, it's tough conceptually to wrap your head around. So picture the void being far out to one side and Earth, us, existing far out to the other side. The The distance doesn't really matter. Just it, Just pick a big distance. So if we go to the earth side of things, and this is getting to, to the understanding of the deep understanding of what spirituality would represent is, and what humans are essentially chasing. And this is my own philosophical, personal opinion. Take the 20% down the middle, right? Cause I'm going to give the full hundred here and 40% of it's probably bullshit. And 40% on the other side is probably bullshit. And 20% down the middle might, 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 create 1% of an idea that might lead to someone having a massive breakthrough in their own personal situation or invent something. I have no idea. If the earth is on one side and that's where we exist in our mind, body spirit is right on the physical situation. We have heart the combination between body and mind. There is no connection between body and spirit. That connection in fact is mind. So the, the connecting point between body and spirit is mind. It's where all the translations must happen. So as the spirit talks to the, if the spirit wants to talk to the body, it's got to go through the mind. If the, if the body wants to talk to the mind, it's got to go through the, uh, I'm sorry, if the body wants to talk to the spirit, it's got to go through the mind. The mind is the translation point, right? So when we talk about theosophy, when we talk about religions, when we talk about people who are having divine moments, divination, uh, people who are having downloads, people who all of this woo-woo stuff as Cliff High as keyed and termed, all of that, right? When we're talking about all of that, I've always had this understanding. Could be right or wrong. I have no idea. But here's the understanding I have. It's a, it's a relay station between us and the void. That's what spirit is. Spirit is the translation between us and the void. And so it's preposterous. It's unfathomable, literally unfathomable to have any recollection, understanding, or even intelligent conversation about. And that's why like, I've always struggled with even saying this out loud because just saying that just makes me sound like a quack, right? Just makes me sound completely pictured in this analogy, right? So you have, you have earth and then we have the void. We, not even earth. We, we just have us, right? We just have our mind, body, spirit, our bodies, right? And people who are interacting with spirit 
are interacting with some relay station in between us and the void. And that relay station could be anything. Could be a god. Could be gods. Could be an alien. Could be... And it could be literally anything that's outside the void, but also farther along towards the void than we are. Because we're really far away from the void. We're like anti-void. So... In that, we have this understanding of what's considered experiences. And so our mind is trying to make up a translation there. And it's why things get so blah, 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 just get mixed up, just get all crazied. Because we're really bad at even having a conversation between our body and our mind, right? You know, like stomach ache, but like eat more pizza. Or, you know, like just... Or uh, what I often refer to with my clients is these pains you're feeling are different, right? There's different classification that we just don't talk about really. If you say you have sharp stabby pain, it's typically neurological, right? That's, that's the, anecdotally, that's what I've gathered between my 10 years of experience and thousands of clients, tens of thousands of hours of interaction with the human body. Um, That that sharp stabby is sharp stabby is um, neurological, right? Dull, not dull, but like sharp stabby is neurological. Achy or deep is bone, kind of. Or not kind of, but like, that's kind of where I go with that. It's like, okay, that's bone. And this will make sense here in a second. Um, and then we have sore or so put, put it, I put sharp and stabby together. Neurological achy, burny bone, um, sore, tender muscle. That's three layers. Just like body, mind, spirit, us, intermediary, void, however you want to define all that nonsense, or not nonsense, but stuff. So when I work with the human body, I don't just work at a specific thing. Or You have to take it all together. A dull, a, a burning, achy sensation in the ankle could be a, a miscommunication of the muscle groups at the hip that are putting too much pressure on the bone and the bones like, why the hell do I have any pressure on it? The whole the whole system of the physical form, this body that we get to inhabit has this muscle tendon fascia structure that keeps the bones from feeling pressure. They're supposed to just float around in there. That's what allows us to fight against gravity. And so if there is pressure, the bones are like, yo, what the fuck? There's pressure. Fix it. What are you doing? Pay attention. Hey, 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 fix it. Same thing with the neurological system. If it gets something wrong with it. You get that sharp stabby because this neurological system's like, Hey, I'm pinched over here. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be paying attention to all of the shit that's going on all around us all the time. Uh, keeping us alive. Fix this please. And then we get the sore, we get the sore and kind of, you know, tender, which is the muscles going like, Hey, Hey, well, we're tired over here. You know, this is going to cascade further if you don't pay attention. So there's these different levels. 
And so one thing, one place could totally represent somewhere else, you know, like uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I, I could go on and on and on. And I have in other episodes. I'm trying not to do that here. Cause we're also coming up to the two hour mark as usual. And I'm still rambling on. So when we talk about this thing with the body, mind and spirit and the conversations there and the translation points, we need to think about another translation point between what we consider spirit and void. Unfortunately, what a lot of people try to do is get their body to talk to the void. You can't. The body can't talk to the spirit without the mind, right? There's no fucking way the body is going to talk to this void thing. It's just not even, you are so, and here's the part where I might upset some people, and that's why I put all that warning in and all that other oh, explanations. As far as the void's considered, you're so infinitely not anything. You're like, to just give you an analogy to kind of make representation to it, which is infinitely un, like infinitely not good enough, you might as well, your whole being, body, mind, and spirit, all together, to the void, might as well be the, you know, the crusty bit on the eye that you pick out in the morning and like flick off and never think about ever again. Like you're less than a, like a, you're less than a grain of sand piece of trash that has no meaning. What's like, not, it's you, it's not even fathomably useful. It's, it's, you don't even think about it. There was the effort. Wasn't even the effort to actually get rid of that. The effort was just like a subconscious effort that just was like, yeah, yeah I do that. And then it goes away. Like you weren't even trying to get the little crusty bit out of the eye in the morning. Like you just did it. And like now, and now it's a planet with people on it. You, you, you have no idea. It's not even on the radar. Like that's the best analogy I have right now to like even explain the differentiation there. So to think that the body could have a conversation with the void is <laughs> laughable. It's laughable because you can't even conceive it with that for the mind to have a conversation with it. Also same thing. That's like, it's not even at the level of picking a booger yet. We're at like wiping an eyelash away. Like it's just nothingness. And then to think about the spirit of the human body, the bioelectric field and its conversations to have a conversation with the void is at the level of scratching an itch. That's how vastly different these things are. So we look to the relay points, right? We look to the points of understanding the answers to the why questions that can allow the mind and the spirit soul, our souls to try to have a conversation, but they need translation first. So how do we translate between the void and us? God's God spiritual understanding, answers to why questions, reincarnation. And reincarnation could be defined as the distance of travel between where we are now to the void and back again. And so when we talk about the long sleeps in reincarnation, how a, a being may sleep for a long period of time and then become reincarnated over centuries, millennium, um, the distance of travel, even though it's it's 
it's minute. It's 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 almost instantaneous. Time doesn't matter in that sense. Remember, the void. <laughs> there's no time to the void. Um, so, in that period, if you want to call it a, a period of time, if you would just want to think about it as a period of time, that's fine, or a distance. They could be relaying back and forth. So the the interactions that diviners or people of uh, religious order or spiritual order or um, spiritual or heal, spiritual healers, bioelectric field, energy healers, um, just people who just have like that great sense of, you know, things, what they could be interacting with at a, as a, as at a transactional level is a, as an intermediary is a, is a translation point. There just could be some being, you know, who died to us thousands upon thousands of years ago, just on their little trip out to the void. And they just happen to get like a little frequency, a little, a little radio station, a little, little walkie talkie action. And then, so they pick up and they send back some information. And then we try to figure it out between the, in our soul, our connection between our spirit and our mind, we try to figure it out, right? Whatever they sent back. And what they sent back was like garbly gook nonsense that we have no idea how to translate because we've never, we do, we don't have that translation ability. We don't, it's not there. Right. And at the same sense of that, in the grand scheme of it all, we could just be an energy source of sorts. We could just be a cattle. We could be a commodity. The idea of humans and whatever spiritual process or bioelectric or, or non void void thing we have could just be another resource in the grand scheme of it all. That's the, that's the definition of macrocosm, microcosm, and the, the vast misunderstanding and disunderstanding and non-understanding we have of all of these things, right? Somewhere, someone or something poked it. And there was so much infinite vastness that the words we use in our current cultural representations and societies is this thing known as the void. And again, we are so infinitely not that, that the only analogy that can give you that might even make sense just to kind of grasp the concept, not the principle of it all, the concept of it is that earth and everything that comes along our, our solar system, our sun is essentially just, woke up, rubbed the eyes and flicked the crusty bit that I used to know the name of out into existence. And that became a solar system with inhabitants. Like that's just, and like our actual spiritual presence or whatever else it is that humans are is like wiping an eyelash away to that. Like it's just, it's, it's nothingness. There's no actual consciousness to it. And the interactions we have with spirit or gods or spiritual interactions or spiritual um, experiences are actually conversations with the what would be considered an intermediary. And that intermediary could definitely be an alien race light years away who have a ability to pick up on whatever it is we're shooting off into space when we do that. And remember, there's no time and space to that because time and space is at the soul level, the magnitude level. Spiritual would go past that. You know, light speed would not matter. Like that's not a factor because light 
goes beyond what we consider visible light speed. The universe goes beyond that yet. There's, there's more to that. We just don't interact with that because, you know, we have the physics that we have right now and the understandings we have right now. And it might be that we're not supposed to understand it, right? Because that, that, we could just be a cattle or a commodity of sorts, a, a plant in the idea of the universe. Like that's the minusculeness of it all. And that's not to say that it doesn't mean anything because the balance there, macrocosm to microcosm, is the experiences. That's what we're here to do. That's what all the texts have always said. We're here to experience. For what for? You get to answer your own why questions on that one. But clearly there's a reason or we wouldn't exist. That's the, that's the, that's the principle understanding that we're balanced to something or we wouldn't exist. We could be an asymmetrical balance to something, or maybe there's an asymmetrical balance to us and however, whatever way you want to think about it, but we are necessary. We're just not sure what for could be a fucking conglomerate of alien races that bred us for some weird scientific experiment. Maybe that scientific experiment keeps the universe from disappearing. Cool. We're pretty fucking important then, right? Who knows? Who knows? It's kind of a beautiful understanding in that sense. Who knows? So that idea of we're here to experience. Why? Remember why questions, spiritual questions, important questions. Why are we so, so, so ingrained into experiencing separation from one another? It doesn't make any sense. At least not to me. And uh, that's our stop. That was our waypoint. That was our little stop on the, the travels here of understanding spirituality and understanding mental health and self-awareness. Why... Um, why are we so ingrained in separating from one another? Doesn't make any sense. I'll catch you on the next one. We'll come up with some new uh, new topics. This was just again a waypoint. We, had, we I'd gotten about sixteen episodes since the last time I kind of did like a recap or like a breakdown. So I thought I'd put another one of those in. I do those every once in a while. It's just kind of a starting out point for people who are new to the podcast. I know I'm long winded by nature. It's really hard to go back and listen to hours upon hours of some of the stuff I talk about. So this is just one of those little like. Hey, we're on a we're, we're on a little trip. We stopped at a waypoint. We met some people. We had some tea. We brought them all up to speed, and then we're back on the trip again. So let's go build some connections between each other. Go find those middle ground people. Wake up to what's going on around you. Be more connected with one another. Have some discourse. Control our fears. All of that, right? And I'll uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Check out tamingindustries.com slash archive for. All sorts of the resources I was talking about on this episode, all sorts of resources from other episodes and just things I find interesting or I think people should know about. Um, if you have any inkling of having me speak at an event you're, uh, you're holding, I'm available for booking. If you head over to the contact submission form, tamingindress.com slash contact, there's a booking contact submission form. You can send that. You can also on that same uh, site or part of the site find... Um, 
are just our contact, our general contact submission form or a review form. If you'd like to leave a review, I, I read out spiffy reviews on the podcast. I've never gotten a review, but it'd be kind of cool to get one. Um, oh, my big thing always, my viewpoints do not always agree with or should not be a reflection of them, but purebulk.com, I am an affiliate of theirs. They are an amazing company that supplies supplements uh, in any form or function that you really want them in and any type of, you know, really supplement that's out there, they have it. Uh, you can also check out Cliff High's Pure Sleep, which is a great sleep aid. Very important in today's society to get some good sleep. Very important for the mind-body connection. Also for the the mind-body-spirit connection all, the, all together. Uh, what else? Oh, use, uh, tam- uh, use code Taming Hindrances for 10% off there. Um, I get a small commission on all sales. Mm, that's it for now. I'll, I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.